Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicked, a cricket podcast that has no time for cliches. We just let our talking do the talking. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mayank. Hey, everyone. Nish. Hello, everyone. And Himanish. Hi, everyone. And today we will be speaking with ground announcer, TV presenter, and host of sporting events, Jake O'Flaherty from New Zealand. We will be talking to him about his stadium announcer job, the coexistence of men's and women's cricket in New Zealand, as well as his take on the upcoming World Test Championship final between India and New Zealand. But first, let me check in with my crew. It's been a while since we all recorded together. How have you guys been, Nish? Hello, everyone. I've missed you guys. <laughs> it's been three weeks since I last participated. I've been good. I was in California for a week, which was amazing. Recharged my batteries and I'm back in the good old Michigan. Uh, but the positive thing is that I'm back here, energized and ready to go for the upcoming uh, podcasts. I was not sure you'd be coming back because I'm assuming the weather was much better out there. Yes, that was a very, uh, very good point to consider coming back that early but surprisingly michigan's weather is also in the high 60s so you know it's all out there well for me so it's good uh, all right well that's good to hear well i'm glad you got your break and i'm glad to hear that you're back recharged and refreshed what about you mayank what's been going on my first dose of the covid vaccine so um glad about that and oh yeah congrats like- yeah like nash said i mean i I'm, i can't wait to go back to travel for somebody who's who used to be on the road 45 weeks in a year, being home yeah. 45 weeks straight has has been a little challenging. It's been a little boring, but uh, but yeah, I'm excited that it's getting nice and warm, and we've been like putting together our patio furniture. So looking forward to spending time outside uh, of the house as well as you know just once we do get our second shot, get a little bit of travel in as well. Yeah, man, travel, travel, travel is what I think a lot of us have missed. I know that I've missed it. Uh, we got to go to Virginia Beach last weekend, and it was nice just to get a, you know, just get away from work and everything else. So uh, I'm really looking forward to traveling more once most of these restrictions lift. What about you, Himanish? Yeah, I need a break in my life because uh, my paper is not close to finishing. Although I've done quite a bit, I've got some good results. So I'm just writing it up now. But yeah, generally it's been busy. Um, I've been making plans to go back home over the summer. It's been oh, cool. 15 months now since I was in Delhi. And unless I have kebabs, I can't complete my year. So <laughs> you need to get your kebab recharge. Yeah, kebab <laughs> recharge. So yeah, it's been a little painful. Yeah, it's been busy. Uh, I got my vaccine too last week or last last week. Oh, uh, waiting for the second one and it'll be good to go. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, funny story. Um, so as, as you guys know, that I, I work in cancer research or enrolling patients in clinical trials, um, uh, 
cancer patients into clinical trials. And one of the perks of my job is that, you know, I get to develop like good relationships with my patients, you know, and they're typically, you know, all the 60 plus, 70 plus uh, year old women, and they know me well, you know, they treat me like uh, one of their own grandson. And we shared a lot about like, just how we have been getting through these COVID times and all of that stuff. So uh, recently I had a very uh, memorable conversation uh, with one of my patients who she was asking like, so what are you up to these days? And I was, I was like, well, I started a podcast recently. And she's like, oh, what, what, what podcast is it? And I was like, I started a cricket podcast. And then this is a 65 year old American woman. Okay. And she's like, you started a cricket podcast. Uh, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's just fun to talk about cricket in like different countries and talk to people who like cricket. And then I can see that she's, you know, kind of, she wants to go along with my passion and she's like, oh yeah, okay, good for you. I'm glad you get to talk about crickets. And I was like, that should have been my red flag, the first insect. of all. <laughs> right, that should have been my I... red flag, right? <laughs> so she was like, oh, I'm glad that you like crickets. And I still kept talking. I'm like, yeah, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, we're Indian fans. So we talk about like Indian cricket and then we'll talk to others about cricket in their own countries. And she's like, I didn't know that, you know, crickets have such passionate fans everywhere. And I was like, yes, you have heard of cricket, right? And she was like, yeah, yeah, you know, obviously crickets is, is everywhere. And I think at that time I was like, <laughs> I was like, cricket, the sport. And she was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> you, you should know? be glad she wasn't talking about the mobile network cricket. That is true. Because that I mean, would have been weirder, right? Yeah, they'd be like, yeah, you're, you're celebrating about... a company across the world. Yeah, she would have been very, very That's kidding. a very niche podcast right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know what? That, there probably is a market for cricket podcasts. So who knows? Maybe someone will get that idea. Who knows? Maybe it's already out there. I need to go and search this later. But anyway, that, that, was, uh, that was a memorable one. So for a very brief moment in time, we were doing a completely different kind of cricket podcast. Well, today we will be speaking with someone whose job has always fascinated me. The stadium announcer is such an integral part of sporting encounters and Occasionally hearing snippets of the announcing on TV does not do justice to the work they do for the fans at the stadium. So with that in mind, I'm so excited to have with us someone who has years of experience as a ground announcer in rugby and cricket in New Zealand. We look forward to talking with him about his job and lots more about New Zealand cricket. So Jacob Flaherty, welcome to The Last Wicket. Thanks, guys. How are you? We're all doing good. We're all uh, basking in the recent series win uh, that India had over England. So we're all in a very good mood. Uh, but Jake, let's, well, let's talk about you. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, always been fascinated about the cricket announcer job. I just wanted to kind of get an idea how you got into that. Like, I don't even know what is the process to, I know it varies in different countries, but at least in New Zealand, uh, what is the step? for you to get into the field or what even drew, drew you to it in the first place? Yeah, well, it was quite interesting. I um, I, I thought, what, what a cool job, right? I, I used to go to sports matches and I, I'd taken what the announcer was saying or doing and so forth. So it was quite, uh, I was quite observant as a kid, um, but never really thought, oh, I could do that because I never thought that I had the, the ability to do it. But then basically when I was, uh, when I was growing up, I'd, I'd sort of developed a bit of a, uh, a an announcer's voice, some people were telling me. Um, so I ended up volunteering for a sports team uh, in Thames. It was a Thames Valley rugby team. And uh, look, 200 people would go to their games. It was it was nothing big. Um, they were the worst team in the competition at that point, And um, it was all a bit uh, grassroots. Uh, they ended up winning the competition the next year, which was great. But nonetheless, um, it, it was um, it was good to just sink your teeth into a, a team that um, you know you had no pressure. But that was my World Cup. I took you know that was my that was my um, my my you know my Black Caps. That was that was um, you know it was so fun and I enjoyed it so much. So um, I started there and I did all that for free. And um, you know I don't even think they had anyone before me. So it was kind of just oh yeah Jake you can have this. And then uh, after that someone had said hey look there's a netball game um, in uh, in in Te Araha, which was the same sort of region as, as the Thames Valley rugby team. 
Um, and these guys, it was a pre-season for a, a professional team. So um, not many people went, but I ended up doing the announcing for that. And I said to them, hey, look, I'll do the whole season for free for you uh, because I thought, you know, I just, want to, I just want to have some fun with this. So I ended up doing their season for free. And that was probably in front of about 1,000 people every game. Um, wow. And then Netball New Zealand saw me from there and said, hey, look, do you want to do the Silver Ferns, which is the national side? Uh, up against England, um, and that was, I think, it around about 10,000 people at Spark Arena, one of the arenas in Auckland, and um, that was great fun. Um, and, and it all sort of built in about a year's time to that point, and then from there, um, there was a contact with New Zealand Cricket, uh, who said that New Zealand Cricket were looking for a new announcer, um, and so I'd, I'd asked for an email address and put that email through, and uh, someone had linked me through as well, and... Um, and from there, it was it was pretty crazy. I ended up having a meeting with uh, New Zealand Cricket. Um, they had their last guy for about twenty years, so I was thinking I'm a I'm a great long shot <laughs> as a young guy. So, um, but I managed to get it, and uh, and the rest is history. It's my third season now with the Black Cats, um, and uh, do a bit of rugby stuff on the side still too. And um, and and so yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. But it's a it's a crazy story, and it's a it's a story that's sort of, you know, a, a lot of luck is around it. So I, I met the right people at the right time and, uh, and managed to, um, you know, and managed to sort of weave my way around um, and, um, and meet the right people and, uh, you know, and, and get the right opportunities at the right time. And it seems like a very quick progression because you started with probably hundreds, hundreds of people moving to thousands. Do you ever get conscious of the fact that you're essentially speaking to thousands of people? It's just one voice. That's yeah. your voice. You ever get conscious yeah, of that? Yeah, yeah, it's um, my my first season. It, there were there were a lot of nerves before every game um, with the Black Caps. It was it was quite um, uh, and I suppose that first big one um, with the Silver Ferns too, which was um, yeah, around ten thousand people. I was thinking, gosh, this is quite you know, this is quite surreal. So um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was a, it was a quick progression um, from two hundred people, and I think about eighteen months after my first time doing it. Um, we had a match at Eden Park, which was uh, the Black Caps versus India. And that ended up, I think, 37,000 um, at that game. And that's basically as, as much as you're going to get in a New Zealand sporting sense um, for, for a match. So so that was sort of the pinnacle for me. Um, I know I know everywhere else seems to be, you know, now with India, you can get 100,000 and uh, uh, same with the NCG and so forth. But, um, you know, for little old New Zealand, that's, uh, that's um, you know, the top stuff. So it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, Jake. So I, I'm, clearly looks like a quick progression, but I'm just wondering, did they like ask you to do any trainings or like do any screenings? I'm, I'm just curious if they did any of that or was it just, hey, you're good at this, keep going? <laughs> well, it was... I what I'd done is uh, I'd put to, put together some tapes. So I'd done some games, um, some some sporting matches, and so forth. So um, I used to just lay my phone down next to me and just record myself speaking, um, and then clipped it up and sent it around. And that seemed to tend to do the job. Uh, tended to do the job, I should say. Um, it managed to to get me in the right places, which was quite um, surprising. I thought I thought really it was going to be um, you know a, a, a lot. Uh, you know, a lot more rigorous, a lot harder. But um, as I say, I was very, very fortunate to meet a lot of the right people at the right time. Um, and that's propelled me through. I mean, I, I know that so many others in New Zealand could do the job just as, you know, as well, or if not better than me. Um, but I was fortunate at the right times to, to meet the right people and, um, and, and get the right opportunities. Yeah. So I was just curious, right, Jake, like when you start um, or when you're doing this activity, right, do you have... Uh, like, you know, what, what is the research that you do for like local music and stuff, right? Like, do you like, you know, research on the music for the teams that are visiting or do you just have like a seasonal thing for like summer choice music or, yeah. like, you know, winter choice? Like, for instance, you know, I seem to have this uh, recurring collection of um, Coldplay being played uh, when New Zealand are doing well, right? <laughs> so this is something that just like a very anecdotal uh, observation that I had. So I'm just curious, like, what, how do you prepare for that? Yeah, well, and it's an interesting one because basically before me, there was a chap who, who did the music and the announcing together. Um, and I do music and announcing for uh, the Blues Super Rugby team at Eden Park, um, for instance. But for the cricket, they've actually split that role up. So I just do the announcing. So it's quite good to just focus on 
um, you know, solely um, the the voice stuff. Uh, and there's a chap called Kieran who um, has his own DJ company, a New Zealand DJ, and he provides all the equipment and um, and and he does the music. So he's uh, he, he has a great um, DJ company that, that does a lot of events around the country, and uh, and he you know is pretty good at, um, at at choosing the music and so forth. So he puts a lot of time and effort into that, I know, and um, I think he, he tries to change it up. I know he often tries to um, uh, uh, swing by the opposition change room. Uh, you know, dressing room or whatever, and just listen to the music that they're playing, and try. And I, I know, um, you know, there's been a couple of times when uh, South Africa's been over uh, the women's team, and they've been playing some music. So, you know, a quick Shazam of uh, of uh, their music, and then uh, and the next thing that uh, their music's being played. But um, no, he's quite good at that. It's funny that you mentioned that because when India is touring New Zealand, there seems to be a lot of Bollywood songs. So, is that yeah, an input yeah. from the team? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's. Um, I think it kind of comes down to the way that New Zealand cricket, um, you know, the entity has has really tried to push that. It's, um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, New Zealand cricket's a great entity who, you know, I suppose really values the inclusion of of another culture, and it's a, com- you know, it's a combination of the two. It's certainly not, um, you know, us versus them. It's a it's a celebration of of the game, and you know, with so many, um, you know, Indian New Zealanders around and. Uh, and that they've come to the games and support the the teams um you know it's it's a uh, you know it's a joyous occasion for everyone and uh, not just new zealanders going to a to a um you know to a match well jake talk, talk us through a day in the life of a ground announcer like what do you do on a typical game day from beginning to end and how do you really add or how do you seek to add value to the proceedings on the field well, it normally often it would often start with an early morning flight um, because, unfortunately, um, it, well, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, perhaps um, uh, there's a lot of travel uh, around uh, with this gig and so forth in the summer. Um, so basically, often would start early morning of flight. I'm in a car at the moment, uh, traveling. Uh, just pulled over, but traveling back from Hamilton. Uh, after a match yesterday, so uh, turning back to Auckland, but um, so I often start the flight heading to whatever um, um, uh, venue we'll, we'll, we'll be going to. For instance, uh, this coming Tuesday will be in Napier uh, for the Black Caps Bangladesh and White Ferns Australia doubleheader. So early morning flight. Um, we have an annual mini putt competition in Napier. Uh, me, the DJ Karen, uh, Chris, who's our um, big screen scorer. And we have a mini putt competition whenever we go to Napier, so we'll have that in the morning. Get that out of the way with, uh, out of the way. Head to the ground um, probably about an hour to uh, 90 minutes before the, the gates open, and that's when the event presentation team will do a lot of their checks. So um, we have our producer or show caller director, um, and the, and uh, that person will will sort of guide us through the script and tell us how we're going to be um, sort of you know presenting. Uh, a lot of the ads and uh, the voiceovers and the team lists and so forth. Um, that's alongside the um, DJ, myself, scorer, and the uh, big screen operator and the LED signage person too. So, um, so I suppose a, a few meetings there. But um, that and, and then we sort of just get into it. Um, my the good thing is when you're a good cricket fan, you know so many players. And so, you know, you don't have to do a massive amount of research because you know these guys already. Um, so so I don't tend to do a lot of research um, for a lot of those players uh, or teams that are so much you know, so much more well-known. Um, Deputant's probably a little bit different, and, and, and I quite often would work um, closely with uh, the scorer who, who always sits to my left, um, and, and statistician, so he'll always give me some good stats and so forth um, whenever um, the... Uh, sort of, um, you know, whenever a, a moment comes up, then that's when we'll uh, when it will announce something, and that's sort of from his directive as well. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, not not as much preparation, I, I think, as as people would think, because of the fact that, you know, when you're all a big cricket fan, um, you know, you, you just you sort of um, you know a lot of that stuff naturally, uh, and so you don't have to work too hard to try and find things out because you've already watched the game, you know, five years ago that something happened. So, yeah. Well, I've also noticed that apart from the actual cricket action, you know, especially in between innings, if there is some sort of special event for, I don't know, you're trying to promote the game for kids who've come in and you're organizing some sort of mini competitions, uh, you have the kids or fans come onto the field for a bit. 
It obviously doesn't happen in India, but I've seen it happen in other countries. Uh, and I feel like the stadium announcer is involved in that too. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff sort of going around, um, going around an event. Um, often there'll be, um, you know, sort of presentations in and around, um, you know, matches and so forth. I mean, for instance, um, we have, um, the other day we had a uh, White Ferns capping. So um, quite a cool initiative with uh, New Zealand cricket is a lot of the um, White Ferns, the former White Ferns actually haven't been capped, uh, received their cap when they actually made their debut for New Zealand. So um, we had a White Ferns capping at the Basin Reserve and um, managed to sort of get out there and, um, and uh, you know, give sort of credence to these people that have, that have played for the country. And um, so we, we sort of read out their names and the crowd were quite, um, you know, really enjoyed that. And, and actually, you know, while that was happening, we had, um, you know, kids out in the middle as well, playing cricket in the, uh, in the middle and uh, at the innings break. So that's um, no, all good fun. Thanks, Jake. That's very actually revealing for, you know, layperson myself. Um, so you did mention that you don't typically do a lot of preparation, but you must have I'm, I'm guessing here, right? Like, do you have like a prepared script or like a template yeah. that you follow in like in between overs or in between like, you know, when the block of power play ends? And second part of this question is, you know, does this actively involve a producer? Like, you know, hosts and studios, they're always in their ears, right? Saying, okay, we're going on break in like 15 and so on and st yeah. stuff like that. Is that similar to you? Do you have like a counterpart who's like kind of like nudging and giving the high level uh, ongoings on the field? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. So we have... Uh... We have a producer who uh, is probably, I think, three three spots away from me, but she's in my ear anyway. Um, and so that person's normally a TV producer as well. Um, one of the producers we uh, have um, just finished uh, producing and directing the uh, America's Cup in New Zealand. Uh, and then another one we have, um, for instance, she was, she's actually a cricket director um, and was um, uh, directed the uh, Pakistan Premier League last year um, and did the actually she did she was the um, producer for the Black Clash as well the New Zealand rugby players this cricket players match uh, in New Zealand so a um, lot of knowledge there within the the, the sort of presentation industry and um, yeah we so we have a, a, a run sheet a, a script to, to follow at each game uh, which is which is fairly after three years you get pretty used to it so um, you know sort of when you need to do things and um, and, and and at what moments and. Uh, and how to do it as well. Um, that first year was a big learning curve because I think I was trying to figure out, you know, how to exactly say things the way I wanted and and the best way to get a crowd response as well. So that took a little bit of, um, uh, you know, sort of homing in on. So we we got that done in the end. I suppose it was the the, the takeaway from the first year and then um, sort of built on it in the second and third. But um, yeah, I, I think um, I think the the, the preparation. Uh, for for matches is is certainly um, uh, is sort, certainly sort of naturally done because when you're on tour with a series, for instance, um, you know you go from one game, for instance, yesterday, and then your next game's on Tuesday, then your next game's on Thursday, uh, and then you jump into another format, and then you know you may be having that new format on Saturday or whatever, and then uh, it all sort of rolls on, and 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 because you know so many of these players uh, from that format too, I think basically I'll always try and give about an hour. Um, or two to you know the touring team before the um, the tour before they do arrive in the country to at least just you know read up on the articles and uh, you know, check out uh, ESPN Crick Info and so forth and um, you know just just uh, get around uh, I suppose a lot of the news and, and and see where the team's at. Yeah, hi Jake. I'm very fascinated by how you sort of work in conjunction with the producer and the scorer and the big screen operator and maybe mm. also the um, TV crew. Can you give us a sort of insight into how that workflow is and how it works yeah. during a match? Yeah, sure. So basically, um, so I'll start with the guy to my right, and that'll be the uh, the music uh, guy, the DJ. So he, uh, that's Kieran, and he's going to be uh, playing music at every four, every six, every wicket. Um, <clears throat> so he'll be, um, basically, that's completely his area. So he just goes off and does that. Um then there's me, and I'll you know sort of inject whatever I need to whenever I see fit with the the um, with the uh, announcing side of things during a game. I'll be working quite closely as well with the producer, who uh, and and she'll be sort of making sure that there's you know if there's an ad coming up at the end of the over, then she's telling me and she's telling uh, 
Karen to make sure that the um, you know the, the levels are up and so forth, and that I'm not speaking over an ad or um, or, or anything like that. So so there's always um, you know that sort of work. Um, the scorer then will often work mostly with me and the big screen operator because when we've got a bowling change or something, uh, he's the chap that yells out a bowling change. We've got so and so now bowling from this end or whatever. Um, more often than not, we all know because you know we're all watching and, and um, anyway. But but that's you know that's um, that that's his his role. And then uh, he's also got I suppose he's always always looking at stats and so forth. Um, it's quite cool. The other day he said when uh, we're at the Basin Reserve, he says, Jake, this is now the highest fifth wicket partnership uh, for, uh, for uh, all matches in one-day international cricket um, at the Basin Reserve. So we announced that when it happened. Uh, and Devin Conway actually said after the match, and uh, it was reported in, uh, in an article uh, how he remembered that moment from the day, and he said that was quite special because he was out there with uh, Daryl Mitchell. And you think, um, you know, this isn't just me saying a, a thing. This is a big team effort, um, you know, with the producer, with a um, you know, with a scorer, um, you know, and it's quite cool that you know our team is getting noticed in that respect, and um, you know everyone's works works doing um, doing well. So uh, we got our our uh, event presentation scorer is his name, well with the title, and then uh, you've got the producer who's obviously calling the shots, and um, she'll always sort of count us into things, and um, you know tell us what's coming up, um, the commercial obligations or any sort of activations that are happening out in the ground. We've got an MC out in the ground with the microphone and the camera, so um, she's always saying, you know, sort of, sort of counting uh, that person in, um, and then uh, we've got a, a big screen operator. Now this is the person that will press out or not out. Um, on the big screen, so um, the third umpire will say, "I'm ready to make my decision," and then that radio, you know, that radio comes through to uh, the big screen operator, and not out or out, and then the um, big screen operator will push that button. Um, so, so yeah, that's our team. And then we've got our um, LED signage. You'll see always a signage around the ground, um, down just beyond the boundary. Um, that's also operated in our team too. So this clears up one thing: that it's not the third umpire who presses the button. It is the big screen operator right. who presses the button. <laughs> Have you always thought otherwise? New okay. Yeah, yeah, at least yeah, in New Zealand. Yeah. Very fascinating. Now, uh, it sounds like a lovely job for a cricket fan, right? So what are the things you love the most about your job and what are the sort of things that you don't really like and don't like to deal with? The highs no, and we're, lows. Yeah. We're not trying to make this sound like a job interview or an exit interview, but we're really curious. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love about your job? What do you hate about it? Yeah, no, look, I tell you, well, I'll start with the... The, the the hate part. I think I this season I've probably well and truly got over, and I'm sick and tired of the travel. Um, the first season was quite cool because I'd never really travelled around the country um, to that degree. And when you when you travel to Dunedin, then you're in Hamilton, then you're in Wellington, then you're in Christchurch, Auckland, Mount Monganui, all the you know, and it's basically your whole summer is travelling. Um, that's pretty fun when you first do it, um, and especially if you haven't seen these places a lot before. Um, but now I suppose as a third season, it's sort of getting a bit tedious um, and your, your late nights and your early mornings to, you know, get the right plane and, and, uh, and uh, or, or, you know, pick up a rental car to drive to, to a new city. It's um, all a bit, uh, a bit tedious. And, and I suppose that's probably the thing that um, this season I thought actually, you know, I probably not join the, uh, the travel as much uh, as I was. But um, I think the part I love is that you, you, it is it is honestly one of those jobs I never thought that I could have ever been able to get. Um, I thought I could dream of it, um, and maybe it would happen in 50 years' time by you know, and I'll do one game. You know, but that wasn't the case, and um, so I'm, it's just it's just one of those you know sort of fantasy jobs that you get um, that that you're just amazed that you've got. Um, and so you, so I sort of pinch myself at every moment. Um, and, and, and always try and take every match in and, uh, you know, and look around and think, actually, you know, um, you know you've got to give it its, the respect that it, it deserves. I know it is a job and sometimes people will, um, you know, rock on into a job and, uh, and, and sort of just clock in and clock out. But um, actually, you know, a lot of these people are paying good money to come to the, to the cricket and they want to be entertained. So you've got to be on and um, it's, uh, it's it's just a it's just a real privilege I think to to be able to to be in this position and um, you know to be lucky enough to have the gig. I think already you have uh, cleared one misconception that I at least had was that each stadium had an announcer you know for just that stadium. But it sounds like you're like the assigned ground uh, announcer 
for all games involving New Zealand cricket. So it doesn't matter which stadium in the country. So you go to all of the yeah. stadiums where the games take place. That's right. That's right. So um, basically, we actually, well, the whole team does, um, not only just me. So we've always got the same DJ. We've got the same, um, uh, you know, myself as announcer, score, everyone's the same. So uh, we spend a lot of time on the road um, together. Um, and a lot of these people, oh, I feel very sorry. Well, I know it's their, their you know, that's their, um, you know, their role and so forth. But uh, these guys work so hard with, with packing in the, the equipment and packing out the next day and driving it to the next um, next place. And uh, it's not like you can just jump on a plane with uh, you know, 20 speakers and, uh, and amps and cabling and so forth. So these guys are driving down you know here there and everywhere and i just sort of swan in right at the last moment and uh um you know and, and not have to set up anything because i suppose you know all i've got to uh come to work with is my voice so um you know these guys work pretty hard and um and uh and it's a it's a big summer it is so um as i say with the travel and um i end up doing the super smash this season and looked after uh, christchurch but i live in auckland so um there's uh five matches down there that i uh, traveled down for and um and then the northern districts as well in hamilton so um while some people i think in the international realm got a bit of a break um i just carried right through which was quite enjoyable too wow well, as Indian cricket fans, we are a little partial to, you know, hearing about your experiences when the Indian team tours New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, do you have any anecdotes or anything memorable to share, uh, you know, in your job whenever India has, you know, come to New Zealand? Yeah, well, India was the, I think, the second tour um, that I'd done as an announcer for New Zealand cricket. And um, it was it was quite... I could not believe how much um, I just couldn't believe the volume of fans that India had. I mean, I, I, I know that, you know, Indian cricket fans are the best fans in the world. You know, they, they are the best sporting fans in the world. It's incredible. And um, but I didn't quite realize it was going to stretch so far, even into New Zealand. And uh, it was just an incredible tour. Uh, and and we've had uh, India out here twice now um, while I've been um, having the announcing role. And it's always a favourite tour because, you know, the crowds are going to be absolutely electric. You know, that the, um, you know, that the hotels are going to be swamped outside with heaps of fans, you know, carrying flags. And I remember coming back after a game uh, to the hotel because we, we stay in the same hotels and uh, we're always on the same planes and so forth so the, uh, as the players. So, um, I was in, I realized I was in complete and utter black caps um, kit. So I had black cap shirt on, training shirt, hoodie. I had black cap shorts on, a black caps hat. And all these people were sort of worrying, wondering who this guy is that's, you know, going to get out of this car because it was sort of, you know, black windows. And so I thought, all right, well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, you know, um, have these guys on. So I jumped out of the car and covered my face, sort of scurried close to the hotel and pretended I was some player and everyone's running towards <laughs> me. And uh, and then next thing, I just take my hat down and then everyone cracks up laughing because obviously I'd had them on and uh, they, they go, who the hell's this guy? Um, but that was good fun and it always always good fun to, to meet the fans. You should have offered to give some, you should have offered to give some autographs. <laughs> Oh no way, no way! But it was quite funny. They, uh, they, they clearly thought I was a black cat, and then they look at me and go, "I've never seen this guy before." Um, but but I think actually probably the most memorable game, um, New Zealand India game that I'd done was the uh, uh, the one at Eden Park that that had sold out thirty seven thousand, and and it sort of it was pretty incredible when you look back. And I thought, well, you know, eighteen months ago, I was doing two hundred people. Uh, and that was the big stuff for me. And now it's all of a sudden at the National Stadium um, for you know, 37,000. And, and the one moment I think that I'll never forget was when MS Dhoni came out to bat. And I couldn't hear myself through the speakers, uh, even though it was pushed up to the max. And I was screaming. Um, I, that, that was the most unbelievable atmosphere I've ever um, felt was when um, Dhoni just comes, walks out and the place just goes nuts. Everyone's screaming, Dhoni, Dhoni, Dhoni. And, um, oh, you know, that, that guy's a, an absolute legend. Um, and it was amazing to be able to, you know, sort of announce these guys' names. Um, I look back and think, crikey, imagine being able to introduce Sachin Tendulkar. Uh, but actually... Um, you know, when when uh, the, the, when I look back at it, I'll think, you know, I'll be, I was able to introduce, you know, Emma Stoney and Virat Kohli to, to the crease at Eden Park, and uh, 
I think those memories will be standing with me for a long time in a cricket sense. Right. Well, let's 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 move uh, our focus to New Zealand cricket now. Uh, you know, one of the things that's really fascinated me, and I was talking to the guys about this earlier, is that of all the big teams in international cricket, there are only probably two or three teams or three, two or three countries where both men's cricket and women's cricket are treated equally or at least promoted equally. And a lot of importance is given to, you know, get fans into the stadium and, you know, really hype the series or have players interact with the fans uh, and not just for men's, but women's cricket. And I, I've always maintained or I've always thought that New Zealand cricket does a fine job of that, especially promoting a women's game, uh, the New Zealand women's cricket team. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious, what is your take on just the coexistence of men and women's cricket in New Zealand? I'm assuming, you know, the men's team are very supportive of the women's team and so on. Yeah, I think we've seen a clear push, I think, in the last two years. At, uh, you, know, you know, you could clearly see that there's, um, you know, great work being done by uh, NZC to really push the women's game. And I think, uh, you know, that, that's made sort of manifest in the way that the Super Smash, the, the domestic T20 uh, competition, has the uh, the woman playing uh, always as a double header, so everything's a double header, um, which brings a you know a few more people I think to to those games and those women's games, and they get that exposure, and um, you know it's all a part of the broadcast deal too that the women are you know are on the TV and um, being broadcast too. We see, um, for instance, with the Bangladesh New Zealand T20 um, tour that it's double headers with uh, the White Ferns versus Australia, which um, you know keeps more people watching as well. So, um, you know, I think those initiatives are really good um, from New Zealand cricket because they get, you know, get, get to give those, um, you know, the, the women cricketers that, that opportunity to, um, you know, to be exposed to you know, more, more people. Um, and I really do think with, with the investment. Um, into the game, I think women's cricket is going to only go up, uh, and the talent's going to be, you know, uh, is just going to soar. Um, and I think we are going to see more people watching. Um, I think New Zealand, it's going to be a, an interesting thing to watch this um, women's World Cup that's happening in 2022 here, the ICC World Cup. Uh, it's going to be um, interesting because I think, um, you know, sort of largely New Zealand doesn't get great cricket crowds. Um, we're a nation that tends to stay home and watch uh, watch cricket uh, more so than go uh, to the venues. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the, the crowds play. Um, I, I really hope that, um, you know, those crowds are sold out for, for, for what's going to be a great sporting occasion, which is the World Cup. So um, I, I think, and I think too, actually, not only cricket in New Zealand, you've got, uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup that's now happening next year. And the year after that, the uh, FIFA World Cup, the Women's FIFA World Cup is going to be in uh, New Zealand. So, um, you know, there's a lot of women's sporting events coming to New Zealand. And I think in, uh, I suppose, the culture over the next few years is going to be, um, you know, sort of, you know, there's going to be great emphasis on uh, women in sport. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. And I think, um, you know, I think that... Uh, with more investment, it, it can only it can only get better. I think that's what we've seen um, specifically in New Zealand. We've seen a lot of that in rugby, um, a lot of money going into the women's game, and uh, and it's gotten a hell of a lot better. Um, and you've got some entertaining rugby players. You've got some entertaining matches um, taking place, um, and, and that's great to see. Yeah. So kind of following up on that, Jake, uh, is it similar on at the club level? where like most clubs have both a men's and women's team, because that's one difference I've seen sort of in India where majority of the clubs are, you know, men only. And even at the grassroots uh, level where there's academies and stuff, is there's, you know, they're taking in young girls as well as boys, or is it mostly restricted to boys? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I think on that, it's an, what an, inter it's an interesting sort of, um, uh, observation I sort of made this season with uh, the Super Smash, and I might be completely wrong, but there is a lot of young young girls playing cricket. There's a lot of young women playing um, sort of in that, you know, sort of 16 to, um, you know, 23. And that Super, Super Smash competition is a lot. And I think that's perhaps because a lot of the pathways in, um, in, in, in for younger uh, younger women in cricket was perhaps schools and, and the like, um, you know, getting involved early. I think it's probably a bit harder for, for people to get involved a bit later um, as women. So we're seeing a lot of young young girls in there. 
Um, I think at the club level, I, I, I think um, you know numbers are always struggling. Um, not only I think in, in uh, the women's game and the men's game too. Everyone wants more numbers, but um, I don't, I'm not too connected um, with the club level um, as, as much as I am with uh, with sort of the uh, the others. So, um, but I think I think um, you know everyone struggles, um, and I think the the women's game in New Zealand isn't uh, isn't any different uh, in that respect. Yeah, so we were talking about numbers, right? And it's because of finances and numbers that New Zealand play only four test matches a summer. And that's a bummer for all of us because we like watching test cricket in New Zealand. We like watching New Zealand play. So what's the kind of local feeling about that? Do people want to watch more test cricket? Are people up in arms about this or do they not like that? What's going on um, on the ground? Yeah, well, I think... I think um, you know. Last year we had, um, I think we had four. Yeah, we did. Uh, and the year before we were scheduled to have five as well. Um, yeah, I, I think. Um, I mean, personally, I'd love more tests. Um, I think everyone wants more tests. All the cricket fans want more test matches. Um, but I think um, specifically in New Zealand, I know that you know, T20s are the ones that draw the crowds. Um, and and I know we don't have the luxury of um, of the, the the sort of the um, the population density of, of places like England where you can just pack out anywhere you go um, because there's so many people around. And, um, you know, Aucklanders, I, I think I, I learned this in my, uh, in my geography class at high school, uh, which is a while ago now, but I think back then I was told that Auckland is the second largest uh, city in the world for urban sprawl, which means, you know, it's a large city um, and, and it's not dense at all. So, uh, a population of over a million people, just over a million people, but they're so spread out, uh, and the infrastructure to get to, to um, venues isn't isn't that fla- uh, isn't that flash. Um, and then, and then I suppose around the country as well, the population is sort of you know well supported. So it's always tough to get good crowds, but I think they are building as well. Um, I think um, uh, some test crowds are starting to surprise me a bit um, in, in uh, the patronage. So, so that's good. But um, I, I think it's the old, uh, the, the age-old thing that that every cricket fan wants more test matches. Um, and and I'm no different. I'd uh, you know I'd love to see, I'd love to see personally. I'd love to see Australia come over um, and play. A four or five match series would be uh, be incredible. That's a pity because New Zealand are playing very good cricket nowadays, and they have a good crop of Test cricketers as well. So uh, we should have more yeah, than two Test series, which are like sort of yeah. truncated, right? I agree. No, I agree, and it's um, you know, I, I hope I hope that um, you know, in the future that that we we manage to get more. And uh, I mean, it depends on so many factors, um, and it's and it's so tough and uh, uh, with that. Um, but I know that the uh, the team's working hard, and I know it's it's an interesting one too because. A lot of those uh, tours are, are, are confirmed so far in advance, um, you know, years and years in advance, and, the, and that negotiation process goes on for a while. So uh, perhaps with COVID, that might throw things away, uh, and we might see uh, some, some some changes to the tours or, or whatever, but we'll just have to wait and see. So, Jake, switching to the ongoing series, um, you kind of mentioned Devon, Devon Conway already. Um, but not just from the men's perspective, White Fern's perspective as well. Are there any specific uh, cricketers that you've noticed on the uh, domestic scene who think have a really good chance of doing well on the international stage? Well, I think um, I, I, I think that actually on that note, I think New Zealand's probably got depth for the first time in a while. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the players you've seen at the level this year um, have have really stepped up. Um, for instance, you've got Jacob Duffy, who made his debut at um, at T20 level, um, T20 international level, um, and took a you know a raft of wickets and and was just incredible that day um, against uh, Pakistan, I think it was Pakistan, um, and and so you know you got him who comes and plays one match and then goes off and, and that's it um, and that's it for him. So um, you know I think he's he's one chap who who made a who made a great. Um, contribution in his first game and uh, and captaining Otago as well in the Super Smash. I think he's doing pretty well. But it's um yeah it's it's uh, I mean I can remember sort of thinking the same of Kyle Jamieson about uh, three years ago when when you see him when you were seeing uh, seeing him in domestic cricket and you're thinking crikey this guy could go well and um, and I think you're seeing a lot of New Zealand cricketers now taking their opportunities in that. Respect they they make their debut and then and then you know absolutely nail it. I think you've seen the same with Will Young, um, in the uh, in the one day squad and the T20 squad and, and the Bangladesh tour. 
Um, he's seen the same with Devin Conway. Um, I mean, that man is just absolutely, I think I tweeted yesterday, he is absolutely the next massive name uh, in New Zealand cricket um, from my perspective. I think, you know, you've got your Ross Taylors, your Tim Southies, your Trent Bolts, your Kane Williamsons, and I, and I think, yeah, you know, you're going to have a, a massive name in, in Devin Conway too. Um, he's just fantastic. So I think, um, you know, for, for the first time, as I say, there's, there's, there's good depth, um, and I think that's converting into good results. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. Uh, you know, for us as as you know neutral fans, we we really enjoy seeing Carl Jameson bowl, but it blows our mind when we think about it that he's uh, pacer number four in that lineup. Yeah. Um, so really, that definitely points to the depth. And you know, even in the lim- limited overs um, scheme of things, you know, you see people as quick as Lockie Ferguson and, and players like Michelle Sat- Satner. So definitely feels that way. Um, so with, with that said, with all that depth, um, what do you think about in New Zealand's chances against India in the World Test Championship final? Um, obviously, it's going to be held in Southampton, you know, conditions, you could say somewhat similar to New Zealand. Um, do you fancy them uh, winning the trophy? Yeah, well, I think the conditions in that respect, as you say, you know, similar to New Zealand and New Zealand uh, thrives in New Zealand conditions. So I think that that's going to be, uh, you know, a great advantage to the Kiwis. Um, but you, you can never, you know, you, you, I, I can't pick this one because it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, you're playing India. Um, and so, and it's, and it's something that we've, we haven't known. We haven't seen this before. And it's, uh, you know, the first World Test Championship final like this. So it's, it's, um, you know, it's going to be a very, very tough one um, to, to, to pick. Um, I think, um, you know, if Kyle Jamieson comes out and, and, and plays an absolute blinder, um, I think if Devin Conway manages to get him, get his way into the team uh, and, and converts his opportunity as well, um, and, and, and you see a lot of those players on fine form, uh, then I think it's going to be an amazing encounter. Um, and I think New Zealand's chances could be very good. But um, look, I, I don't know. I, this could be this could be either way. I mean, it's a shame it's one test. I personally would like to see a bit of a series um, because you know if this thing ends in a draw, then um, you know that that'll be sort of um, uh, a sort of uh, salt in the wound. I think of maybe another um, uh, match that New Zealand didn't win uh, in England in recent years. But uh, <laughs> but uh, so I think no. But I'm I'm looking forward to it. I I've already said to um, you know, most of the people uh, in my circle said I'm not going to sleep those nights because it's uh, it's going to be over uh, overnight for for me um, in New Zealand. So uh, I'm going to watch every ball and uh, and love it. But um, I, I think regardless, um, you've got two incredibly good teams uh, in good form, um, and, and it's going to be a, a joyous occasion to watch. I was just saying I couldn't agree more. It would be ideal if it was a three match series. Um, but hey, this is the first time they're doing this. Hopefully, they'll uh, you know have a better iteration next time. But I think with New Zealand, I believe they're going to England just before, um, so they might have some match right. practice yeah. as well. Um, so I, I personally think New Zealand have a slightly upper edge, but as you say, mm. India's a good team as well, so you never know. Indian fans have the baggage of being five for three again in swinging condition. We'll have India versus New Zealand in England. We are still getting over it, and I'm assuming you are trying to get over the World Cup final. So, yeah. both, both side supporters, we have a lot of uh, resolution needed. So, hopefully, yeah. we'll, get- well, I think I think the funny thing is is that regardless, um, you know, of whoever won that semi final between India or New Zealand, I think. Either sides, you know, the whoever lost that game was going to support whoever won that game in the final. Okay. Um, you know, it would have been would have been uh, pretty tough to see um, New Zealanders support England or Australia uh, just for the fact that there's that old rivalry. Um, and so, right. had India ended up winning that game, I think we would have been uh, right behind India in the final. Uh, and I, I think we noticed that as well with India's, um, you know, great support in the final too. I think that made it really heartbreaking for uh, a lot of us, especially the ones who supported New Zealand in the final. Uh, I don't think, I don't even know if, how, if I would have felt that same way for India, because being an Indian cricket fan, I assume I would have felt the same, but this may be a cliche at this point, but the New Zealand players are just so likable that, especially led by someone like Kane Williamson, you want to see them succeed. You want to see them lift a trophy. And when India was out of the running, the next logical team to support seemed like New Zealand. And if you're going to lose the final, I think that was one of the worst ways to lose it. So it's hard enough for us neutral fans. I can't even imagine the reaction that, that 
you know, in New Zealand, because we got to see a lot of winning reactions for England supporters. Uh, how did that go over in New Zealand when, when they lost that way? I, I, it was, it was horrific. I mean, I, I was just beside myself. That, that was a horrific day. Um, I think it, the result came through at about, I mean, I'd watched the whole game, but I think the, uh, I think it finished at about 6am New Zealand time. So uh, I had work at about nine. So I ended up going in a bit early um, and uh, locked myself in, uh, in an office and decided I was going to, uh, um, just uh, you know, lay low for the day because it was. Uh, I tell you, it was uh, it was a pretty um, it was a pretty emotional time. Uh, it was a pretty emotional time. And uh, look, I mean, I think the Kiwis, regardless of the result, were so proud of the the, uh, the boys. Um, and it, it, I think we've seen that a couple of times as well um, with New Zealand losses. That the the country gets around our team just as much as uh, if they ended up winning. I've asked about this too, uh, not too long ago, of why sort of New Zealanders. Um, reacted the way they did or whatever but I think and sort of the the, the way that the black caps carry themselves and I, I think that it sort of comes into a larger um, discussion of the culture of New Zealand and I think we have a thing over here called the you know the tall poppy syndrome that I think anyone sort of walks around with their chest out and, and sort of you know skites a little bit then then you know uh, people seem to, tend to cut them down pretty fast because uh, you know they're being a tall poppy or whatever so um, you know, I think the, the the idea of being humble is quite an important thing um, in New Zealand. And if you're not humble, I think you get you, you get uh, you know you get cut down by your peers fairly fast. So um, I think that's why you know New Zealanders were able to look to the Black Caps then and say, actually, you know, you lost this game. Um, you know, uh, as per the rules, and that's all good. But the way that you carried yourselves was um, you know was was something that the country was proud of. Um, and uh, and that was um, you know despite the loss that was something I think that um, you know Kiwis could you know have a smile at the end of the day for. Well, Jake, I'm really sorry if I dredged up painful memories there, uh, but I thought it was <laughs> important to hear you know uh, your reaction. Uh, but hey, I want to thank you so much for spending so much time with us and kind of giving us a peek into the job that you do and you know just the way you contribute. Uh, in your own capacity to cricket-loving fans uh, who come to watch the games at the stadium. Uh, we'll let you get back on the road. Uh, but again, Jake, thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck with uh, everything that you're doing. Thanks, guys. It's been great to chat. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. A special thank you to Jake for coming on the show and talking to us about his career. Please do follow him on Twitter at Jacob O'Flaherty and reach out to him if you would like to know more about getting into his field. Meanwhile, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds and do spread the word about this show. Once again, thank you for listening and we hope you come back for more. From all of us here at The Last Wicket, have a great week.